1: Hello, and welcome to The podcast, the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name is Fergus Collins, and I'm the host of The podcast, And we're nearing the end of our 13th season of podcasts, which we're calling A Taste of the Countryside. And it's where we're celebrating food and drink, and especially those farmers and food producers who work alongside nature and the environment as they go about their daily business. And it's episode 13 of season 13, recorded in mid-June when I headed deep into the rolling countryside of Northamptonshire to visit a gin distillery with a difference. Warner's Gin was set up by Tom and Tina Warner on their family farm in 2012, with an emphasis on natural, locally sourced ingredients. Ten years later and things have really taken off, especially the transformation of much of the farm for nature. So I wanted to hear Tom's story and how he makes a profitable business while working alongside wildlife. And later I met with Rachel Sutherland, who has the very enviable job of tasting the gins for quality and for devising new flavours. So here's their tale.
2: What's the date today? The 20th of June. Uh, the 20th of June, so um, nine years, six months, and 14 days ago, we launched um, one of the first craft distilleries in the UK, um, but probably what we classify as the first that had no funding, no contacts, uh, and, and, and nothing behind it, so it was sort of real grassroots. You just started from, nothing. from
1: scratch. Absolutely well. from scratch. What? what, what, what I'm, with, I'm with Tom, Tom Warner, who's the no. c, your CEO, Tom. Well, well founder. founder.
2: I hate I hate CEOs. I feel very official. <laughs> um, not I don't hate CEOs. I hate the title CEO. Yeah, yeah. I, I founded the business, um, and you know it, it took. Uh, three years on the side of a day job. I, I was uh, not on the farm at the time. Grew up on the farm. So we're stood in the driveway. Yeah, It's a beautiful sunny day I in June.
1: your dad go by on this train. He's right? off topping. So, topping. He
2: likes to keep... Yeah, so it's a livestock farm yeah. uh, predominantly. although beef? We're, we're, beef? Yeah, yeah. Beef, beef. So we have beef over the summer and, and coal use over the winter. Um, and um, we are slowly transferring the, the farmland over to botanical growing oh. uh, for the gin, which is uh, quite an interesting process with Dad, because a lot of the stuff that he's been trying to keep out of the fields for a long time, we're now actually planting. <laughs> off the top. Yeah, exactly. So a bit of a weird weird uh, transition for him. Um, but yeah, so the idea... Uh, we, we didn't wake up and say we're going to be gin distillers, and I'm always envious when you hear of entrepreneurs that have a lightning bolt moment. Ooh. We just knew we were going to diversify the family farm, um, and it took... 3 years really about 6 to 9 months to really round on distilling mm. and that was the evolution of the penultimate idea which was producing essential oil so one of the ideas we looked at was growing lavender Rosemary uh, herbs that you can grow in so the UK. So you sat
1: around the table going, "What are we going to do?"
2: Yeah, and it was you know that milk. that was a that was a process that took months, mm. and it was you know every every evening brainstorming ideas, weekends. What are we going to do? Just the
1: family and friends, family,
2: family and friends. Yeah, yeah, my best friend Sean was involved uh, uh, at the start of the, of the business. He was because he used to be called Warner Edwards, oh. and he decided to leave the business in 2016. Uh, so just for laser focus on storytelling. Mm. Three years later, we changed the branding just to Warner's. Mm because um, we were still very young and it, and it just meant that we were more relatable in terms of the story we were telling at the time. Um, but this was, this was about, yeah, farm diversification, being the master of your own destiny uh, and, and creating awesome products. The, the golden thread in our business... I am a farmer's son, grew up on a farm, went to Agricultural College, Harper Adams, which is now a university, so I pretend that I went to university. (laughs) Um, And and then I went into... I did a bit of time in East Africa, coffee buying, then the produce industry for a decade. So I've dealt with farming, farmers' food and drink now my entire life Mm. Um, and my mum was a home economics teacher my wife's mum's a chef she grew up on a farm in Ireland they're big potato farmers and they've they launched a crisps brand Um, so you know adding value to a product was something that they did so you had a lot of expertise around the family right it's it's all influence in your life isn't it the golden thread that runs through and we knew we were going to start a business that was going to sort of use the skills that we developed over our our, our career to date and yeah so six or nine months worth of planning the penultimate idea was essential oils growing crops of lavender rosemary things like that and then distilling it to extract the oil and then selling the oil so with all the business ideas we did we looked at you know capital expenditure equipment required size of market margins that you could deliver cash flows on, a, on an excel sheet um, and in doing that we said well, what do you do with the still for the rest of the year you can let's make see. booze we we're like <laughs> why are we talking about flowers let's make booze and that was that was the evolution of the idea yeah. and then the next business plan we were going to distill everything rum tequila whiskey brandy vodka ch- you know you name it we were going to make it But we realised quite early on that we needed to actually focus. Uh, And remember, when we did this, craft distilling was not a thing in the UK. No,
1: there was a a wave of it. Perhaps around the time you were starting... Well, we created that wave. wave. The amount of people that have heard me talk Mm. and have
2: said, you were so inspirational, I've I've started my bit. I do worry for them because the market's contracted now. Mm. It's very, very sticky. There are, I think, 800 distilleries have launched since we launched most of so those you
1: were the first or you were the kind of
2: yeah we were the, like in the, yeah, in the yeah. first in the vanguard in the first two or three mm-hmm. and we nearly stopped the business plan when we found out two had already done it yeah. so we, we genuinely thought oh Christ saturation, that saturation. Yeah. Uh, when two had two had gone already um, and that was Chase and Sipsmiths both those brands have now sort of sold to the big guys um, but we um, we we did this you know I think we the same report that we saw two people had already done it we flipped the page and saw that White Spirits was worth four billion in the UK. So, mm. not right. there's enough for everybody to have <laughs> a pop out. The reality is for, for craft guys like ourselves, we're all fighting over about 3% of the market. So the more brands that launch into this space, all we're doing, all away. we're just killing each other, is yeah. the reality. So it's very difficult to break through. Um, you know, multinationals control that volume share, the, the marketing power they've got, the relationships they've got, the money they can spend uh, um, and, um, you know, the, the portfolios that they've got to flex with retailers uh, uh, all across the world. So we're all fighting over a very small chunk of business. Um, but it's it's been amazing to be there at the start and really create the blueprint of what is craft distilling in the UK. There's a lot of businesses that have launched that they're not really bringing anything different to the world. What we're trying to do... And this wasn't our vision at the start. Our vision at the start was just to try and make the, you know, save the world from mediocre gin was the rallying call. (laughs)
1: Which is a pretty good one.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. But we now, you know, our vision now is to become uh, the most nature-positive drinks business in the world. And we're going to do that by increasing biodiversity wherever we sell our products. We just happen to manufacture... You know, epic liquids in harmony with nature on the side. Mm. Um, but the, the vision is to really drive a biodiversity gain uh,
1: globally. I think that's very really interesting. So you see your niche as promoting that. Uh, your colleague Johnny said gin of the countryside. But this is and it. That, and that's going to, you think that is going to give you that. Market, well, we want to be advantage. the
2: spirit of the British countryside, yeah, 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 nice. which means, yeah. you know, there's got to be endeavour. You know, whenever <laughs> you talk about Britain, it's all about endeavour and what we've done. So it's it's really... Um, yeah, taking our brand around the world and our point of difference, you know, we, we've been built on and by Mother Nature. You know, we're on the farm, everything we do is 100% natural. Um, a lot of the products that we've launched are because of ingredients that grow here on our farm. You won't find Warner's Gin making pineapple or, or, or pink grapefruit or any of those types of flavours because we are the gin of the British countryside. So we make uniquely British flavours. Um, and if we lose, those flavours because we don't use flavourings from a chemical factory we need raspberries to go in our raspberry gin we need rhubarb to go so in you're our growing rhubarb
1: the in. actual real ingredients so that's a different point of difference is that you're growing your ingredients whereas a lot of other we grow a lot yeah.
2: but you know we we grow quite a bit here on the farm that we'll mm. show you later but also the rest of it is grown you know a lot of it's grown here in the uk especially the fruit that goes mm. into it some of the stuff we have to import but the reality is 95% of the ingredients we use are pollinated. If we lose biodiversity in pollinators then our gin business is over. Well all businesses are over yeah, pretty yeah,
1: much. Yeah. But it's sort of getting that message across to fellow farmers around the place. Does that do you find that that sort of I your think, message is spreading?
2: I think I it, it it's it takes time doesn't it? Yeah. With all of this and I think there is a everyone is resistant to change. Mm. I think, you know, you know the age demographic of most farmers in the UK. These guys have been doing what they've been doing for a very long time. So getting them on board with change is going to be a slow process and it's probably, we may not get the older generation of farmers into that change. It may be the next generation yeah. that come through where we see significant change in, in
1: behaviours. Interesting, interesting. Mm. Well, could you show me some of the gin process? Love I'd love to. hear about, because um, a lot of our listeners... be gin drinkers but will they do they know how it's made and what it's made from because i'm not even sure myself what the basic there are there this is the this is the distilling room so we're in the we're in like a science lab here (laughs) uh, what's what's this large coppery type
2: so this is this is our still yeah so we've got four four stills on the farm two uh two big ones two small ones Um, But this is the one we started with. This is Curiosity. It's a huge sort of vat, really, with a brass copper. What is it? It's copper, Uh, and copper was originally used in distillation because it was really malleable and easy to work with. What they subsequently found out was a fortuitous discovery is that copper actually absorbs nasty stuff you don't want in the gin. Okay. So um, uh, acid, cyanide, carbonates. The, uh, the copper making. actually absorbs those, so it's a sacrificial relationship. So not only was it easy to make stills out of copper, really good energy exchange as well. So in terms of heating conduct, stuff up, absolutely. The copper, yeah. And then you've got this uh, catalytic effect where the copper will take out impurities. So it's actually killing itself with each distillation, the still um, and, and what would that's interesting yeah it's sacrificial so they, they are so it's noble only beasts a, it's, only,
1: it's, only, <laughs> it's only got a short lifespan I know that oh, to, yeah.
2: to, to keep the nation fueled with gin
1: yeah. stills are dying
2: all around
1: <laughs> all around the country See, there we go we never knew <laughs> this, this uh, so what's happening so where, where do you start then you start with a grain is that right or- start with a grain
2: we don't make our own base ethanol because for gin you know you need something that's 96% uh, pure so that's made from what just just wheat. wheat. So okay. we're using a wheat spirit. Um, so someone like Cargill's, massive bioethanol producer, mm. they'll produce, and these things are like petrochemical refineries. There are a few people that make their own base spirit. My argument would be that's very inefficient, mm. actually quite costly to the environment, and you're making something that is. Equal to something that you can buy in. So for gin, we don't buy it in. If you're making a whiskey, then you probably want to go from scratch because it's a more, you want more of the flavors coming through from the fermentation. Gin is made from a neutral grain spirit, so it has no taste, flavor, so it's or aroma. Ethan-
1: ethanol, it is yeah.
2: ethanol, the chemical. Yeah. The only way you can get it cleaner is chemical fracking, which you actually have to add chemicals to it to separate and then it taints it. So you actually get flavour back in. So at 96%, we're completely neutral. And that's what we want as distillers because we want that neutral canvas to then paint all over. Oh, I see, okay. So many different ways of making gin. The, and a lot of gin is made by just taking that ethanol, pouring flavourings into it from a bottle. Like juniper juice or something. Yeah, yeah, adding, adding like sugar. Mm-hmm. Or the, the thing about flavourings, whether they're natural or whether they're synthetic, they're very, naive, they're very um, narrow flavour compounds, so the complexity you're getting is, is, is very, very small. They're quite clumsy,
1: very straightforward on the palate. So you can buy these off the shop, flavourings. Absolutely.
2: For, um, and this is how a lot of gin is made. So just pouring flavourings into a big bin with some booze and some water, probably <laughs> the way these guys make it, they'll probably add a lot of sugar as I well. A like how
1: I do my home-brew beer.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And then it goes off to the bottling line. Yeah. And a, a, a scary amount of Premium gin is made that way, which is quite frustrating to us. Everything, you'll find out today whilst you're here, everything we do is very masochistic in terms of oh, the way we make our gin. sacrificial. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. There's a, there's a running theme <laughs> yeah. in the business. Um, we do everything the hardest way possible, pretty much, because it's the best way. You end up with a better liquid, you end up with more complexity, better flavour and believability for the consumer in the price point. Okay. Um, so it's real craftsmanship. So there's still the way we make gin... All of our gins start as a London dry, which means all the ingredients have to go into the
1: pot at the same time. So people have heard of London dry gin, and what does that mean? It's just a technique of...
2: So London dry is what Britain gave to the world in terms of gin. So the Europeans invented it in the 1250s, Antwerp. Um, that's oh really? when... So
1: that's when the first gins appeared? Isn't Absolutely.
2: It? So spice trade, Antwerp was the spice capital of the world middle eastern technology comes to europe with the alembic still that's when we start fortifying beers and wine doctors use this liquid that they called eau de vie or the northern europeans called it um aquavit and the scots call it Iskebaha, which is the water of life doctors would then um basically infuse this with other botanicals juniper was added because of stomach complaints so juniper is meant to sort of make your tummy better if you're ill so doctors were prescribing Early form of gin yeah. uh, uh, called um, uh, uh, Geneva, or oh, the yes. Dutch called it Unevra, but it was this early days of gin spirit. Then the Dutch had a fight with the Spanish in the 1600s, 30 years war. We come over, help them beat up the Spanish like we always love to do. But the, before every battle, the Dutch would have a large shot of their Geneva, and that's where we get the expression Dutch courage. Gin comes back, getting drunk and fighting comes back to the UK, which we've specialised in for centuries ever since. But we also started making lots of gin as a nation. And um, we got a Dutch King William comes over, takes the crown, always given the crown, depending on which side of the debate you are. And um, he basically promotes the manufacture and sale of gin as a nation to stick two fingers up to the French in terms of suppressing brandy imports deal with the grain surplus at the time um, and this made him very popular gin was very very cheap it was fashionable yeah. so everybody starts drinking it so that's the first gin craze it's basically class agnostic because it's cheap enough for the poor to drink but it's it's nouveau, so all the rich are drinking yeah. it as well.
1: I'm thinking Hogarth paintings, gin alley, yeah, something. absolutely. So that's that sort of period. But
2: that was that was propaganda from the beer industry.
1: Oh, was it really? So okay. if you look at those, the, the,
2: the so basic Hogarth essence. Hogarth a propagandist. Yeah, from, 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 from. the basic essence <laughs> of the two. There's two pictures: Beer Street, and Gin Alley. Yeah. Beer Street, everybody's well fed. Their clothes are in good repair. Yeah, yeah. Reading Politic. The pawnbrokers are shut down. Um, gin Alley. All the buildings are falling down. Everybody's threadbare. Yeah, yeah. They're fighting Babies over. Are falling absolutely. Mother size, yeah, Mother's yeah. ruin. Yeah. So the basic message was: gin makes you sad, beer makes you happy. Yeah. And to this day, we all know someone that goes, "Oh no, I can't drink gin. It makes me cry." Do you think because of that? Absolute propaganda from Hogarth still echoing. So you say gin world. makes you happy.
1: <clears <clears <throat> absolutely. Disgusting. Well, booze. We this,
2: uh... Well, I think alcohol is the spirit that disengaged our prefrontal cortex as apes when we started eating sort of fallen fruit that was highly fermented. Um, Then we started farming it, sort of, you know, I can't remember how many millennia ago we started farming, but, you know, the bread basket of the world. We started, sort of, and arguably a lot of historians think we, we actually started farming wheat for beer way before and barley way before we were actually using it for um for, for br- food for
1: bread for yeah absolutely so beer before so we, bread so we wanted our booze because, <clears throat> absolutely. because disengaged our frontal cortex well
2: right? it, it collaboration yeah. it actually made us trust each other getting drunk sitting around the campfire telling yeah. stories so basically booze made humanity it made us the species we are today um and you know we we still do the ritual and the ritual is the key thing about all drinking. It's meeting up with friends, relaxing, unwinding, shedding the week's woes, having, marking, a, laugh. having yeah. a laugh, relaxing and disengaging the serious part of our brain yeah, yeah, yeah. and engaging that creative endorphin-releasing part of, of humanity. Um, we've gone no, off on a bit a of month, tangent.
1: Like, a tangent. No, this is great <laughs> for an early June morning. <laughs> I'm feeling like I could do with a drink. That's <laughs> a test to all these theories. Um, yeah no, this is great, I've been, I've just while we're standing by the still, how does it actually work though, because you've already got the uh, yep. ethanol, so what does the still do? So,
2: so as I said, what I was explaining wasn't I, London dry, yeah. so we make London dry, London dry is basically when in London once we'd established how to make really clean ethanol, mm. we invented a dry, it was called a dry spirit because you didn't add sugar to it, and someone in London in the early sort of mid-1800s created a gin that had not had sugar added, and it was called London Dry Gin. And it's been the quality standard of gin production globally forevermore. Um, and that's how Britain became sort of synonymous with the g and because we invented London Dry Gin. So we make London Dry Gins to start with, and that means you start with a box of the trackel, so this, Like this
1: one over here. So what's that?
2: That's and uh, peel. Is that orange that, peel? That's just, uh, we've got
1: orange peel in this one. Um, and that's it plastic tub of orange peel and
2: underneath we've got lots of other spices in here i think oh. we've got some this is our star anise we're, we're distilling our christmas gin here so we've got chocolate star oh, anise, the smell is incredible juniper
1: um, oh gosh that is just a heavenly it is quite christmasy for midsummer. yeah but, yeah, but you yeah, know lovely christmas lovely. is now in terms of suppose. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah
2: um all those ingredients go into the pot they go in with pure ethanol, spring water from the farm, really important ingredient so you've got,
1: you got your own springs on. It's yep. called Falls Farm.
2: Falls Farm, yeah. um, because of the, the terraced gardens of a medieval manor house, which yeah. we'll, sh- we'll show you later. Um, but the, um, yeah, the, so spring water from the farm, that all goes into the pot and we're making a big spicy boozy soup. We're then using the still, like um, an assault course basically, to challenge the uh, essential oils, and stretch them so that only the sharpest, brightest, and most beautiful essential oils make it through the
1: assault, assault so course to the there's end. there's just a whole array of pipes and levers and valves and things here, but, but, and that's the assault course. Things are it, going to flow through all these different. Absolutely.
2: Pipes. I mean, it looks like a weird Orwellian time machine, yeah, yeah, it doesn't really it? Does. Copper, yeah, yeah. shiny, switch, yeah. or, a, yeah. or a weird <laughs> or a weird sort of saxophone. Yeah, it's, it's sort of, <laughs> it does. Saxophone. yeah.
1: yeah. And then, church organ, it's incredible.
2: So, we've stretched the spirit all the way through the distillation. We then get um, this is the cooling column. So, we've got 80 degrees C. Eight feet tall, six feet tall. Yeah. And then, well, the top of this column, this is the the heated column, column, 4.3 meters to the top of that one. Cooling tower is probably a meter and a half shorter than that. But we're flushing cold water in at the bottom. Right. We've got vapor coming in at the top. So that's like a, a, a
1: column in the middle. The cold water goes around. The
2: Absolutely, a so Liebig condenser. If you remember those from leave school. It,
1: yes, yeah. Oh, okay. it's, the,
2: it's the opposite of a radiator. So we've got hot vapor in at the top, cold water flushing at the. So cold water on the outside of the pipes, mm. and the vapor comes in at eighty degrees C. And then it comes out here at the bottom, oh, which we call, call the point of pleasure, <laughs> where the gin is flowing off at so around like little,
1: 14. It's like a little drinks fountain, this, like you would have at school. But this is pure gin coming this out is, This is, it?
2: this is, it's a roughly mm. 90% ethanol at the oh, moment. Okay. So really, really high proof. Just dip your finger in.
1: Yeah, okay. Have a sip.
2: Evaporates really quickly on the tongue. Oh, wow. That's Christmas cake again, and you get you get some of those chocolate notes. Yeah,
1: that's powerful. Yeah, I mean, that's the the flavours are really intense. Really,
2: because it's undiluted. Yeah, yeah. So at this point, so
1: we're ninety percent.
2: Yeah, so we're 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 much stronger than bottle strength. Way more essential oil, and this this is our Christmas cake gin. So this gin, will have for a London dry. We would only add water at this point. For our Christmas cake, we're going to be adding um, cherry juice, treacle, water. Really, to give it some unctuous flavour.
1: Yeah, yeah. So winter warmer. Yeah, time. absolutely. Gosh. Okay. It's actually quite. Small. Although it's you know, three, four meters tall, it's smaller than I expected for a for a business of your size. This, all the gin goes through here. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent.
2: This is made probably 90 percent of all the gin that we've ever made has come through this still. We've got another one the same size that's only been in operation for about a year now.
1: Okay. So uh, at the top that, of the that's farm. Your business is growing, and you've got more how many bottles I mean well, how many liters of gin do you uh, so
2: this this um, is a 500 liter still mm-hmm. and we roughly get about 270 liters of gin off the distillation so there's there's days where we might do this twice a day mm. uh, depending on what's going on um, but this is the end of the well it's the middle of the process because we then have to blend so depending on what gin's being made we make I think seven different London dry gins and each London dry gin is either then goes on to be a London dry gin. So just has water added at the end of the distillation, or it could have rhubarb juice added to be turned into our rhubarb gin. Strawberry and blackberry juice to be turned into our our raspberry gin. Sorry, strawberry. Raspberry and blackberry juice to be turned into our uh, raspberry gin. Christmas cake, I've just told you, it's got some absolutely fabulous ingredients. So from just adding water through to lots of different types of juice um, is the next phase, and then that goes to our bottling hall, which is ten minutes down the road, Um, and we we put it into put it into bottles. Yeah, very pretty bottles,
1: I think. Yeah, kind of. um, I I have seen a few in the shops and a few samples come my way. But um, so what's the next process? This is it. Is this, is well,
2: this we're sort of seeing the middle process. Yeah. The, the big part of the process that we haven't seen yet is the um, the growing operation. Yeah. yeah so yeah. actually, the the ingredients. I'll take you up to the lab. Upstairs. Yeah. Okay. And because of the heat of the still rising, we actually use this space for drying. So
1: ah, throughout this. the year, different crops come online. The smell in here is just wonderful. Yeah. So. Um, what can I smell? I mean, so you've got drying racks
2: here? Yeah, drying racks and these literally we are cycling throughout the growing season, which we started drying quite early this year with the angelica harvest. We were harvesting as early as February, actually, angelica root and um, the angelica harvest is pretty much done. What we've got on here at the moment, rose.
1: Rose petals um, and, and, and they literally
2: pop all summer. So we, we, mm. we, each week we're drying batches of rose petals. This is elderflower. That we're just drying off. Oh, ah, that's the smell here, yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very pungent. It's
1: very beautiful smell. And we'll
2: we'll take you down to the elderflower orchard that we've planted. But yeah. we use elderflower in nearly every single gin that we produce. <clears throat> Do
1: you? Um, Even when it's not late, because I've drunk I tried your elderflower gin. Yeah. Which is, which is terrific. So that's, that's made it.
2: with fresh elderflower. Mm-hmm. So the that, that elderflower gin, we've got roughly three weeks every summer yeah. to make a year's supply. Because yes. we're using fresh blossom to that one. This, we're drying this because we use dried elderflower all year round in our other gins. Is it like a base note
1: then or something? Absolutely. You, yeah, okay. So, so it's, it's
2: just one of the ingredients that... We put roughly, I'd say, 10 um, botanicals in each distillation. Elderflower consistently is nearly in every single... So when, you, when you
1: say it's a rhubarb gin, it's got some other things There's in still, there?
2: Oh, probably. for sure. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, we start with a London dry that's probably got 11, 10 or 11 botanicals in there, depending yeah. on the product rhubarb there's 11 so there's 11 botanicals already in there and that gives you the base notes that support the rhubarb flavor profile so a lot of rhubarb gins on the market ours was the first and genuinely the reason why everybody makes a rhubarb gin is because of our rhubarb gin and the, and it changed the gin industry in terms of color and and well rhubarb being popular number one but two, adding color to gins um this is a very delicate pink colour. Absolutely, right? but that's rhubarb. Yeah. Um, we didn't... It was meant to be a limited edition um, and it went absolutely nuts for us, along with our elderflower gin. Those two gins... And we never get the credit for this. Um,
1: but <laughs> Today's the day. Absolutely, but
2: all the, all the big guys should write us a big thank you letter because 40% of the gin category now is what they classify as flavoured gin.
1: I see. Now... That's a consumer-led thing, is it, or yeah. the, the people just really like it? It
2: made the... gin slightly more accessible. I think a lot of it is driven by the AlkaPop generation maturing mm. and, and wanting to get into gin and tonics and finding something that was a bit sweeter. Yeah. Um, we did this using Mother Nature. So our Elderflower and Rhubarb gins, you know, inspired by the British countryside, grown in the British countryside, it was my mum's recipe the elderflower she she came into the kitchen as we were developing our first London dry summer 2012 my mum came into the kitchen with a bottle of gin um, and she'd she'd taken a double measure out of it put um some fresh elderflower and two teaspoons of sugar so it's slightly sweeter slightly more floral Mm. we tasted that and that was that's going to be our second product this is this is amazing so we launched with our Harrington Dry, our first product, and then we launched our elderflower gin, summer 2013. And we didn't make enough. We didn't realise. We thought we'd made low Right, like, this is. We'd sold 2,000 bottles of our dry gin at that point, and we thought we'll make 2,000 bottles of our elderflower gin. It sold out in eight weeks. It's just, it hadn't been done. This flavour... How does
1: it feel when that's, that works? Oh, it's though. amazing. This must be a great, Well, it's, it's great gutting sort of, as well, because you're like, great, Christ, we bad? should
2: have made ten times yeah, as much. Yeah. But th- this is the point. Because we use Mother Nature, and we use it fresh, we had to stop the sale once we'd run out, and we couldn't launch that product again until summer 2014. So
1: you could have a disappointment factor. There,
2: but also, we use fresh elderflower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of our competitors just buy it elderflower flavorings
1: yeah cordials yeah I mean.
2: we, we don't do that so it's mother nature only so we had to wait until summer 2014 to launch it again in the meantime um we 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 launch or we we get some rhubarb and um design our rhubarb gin to launch september 2014 so relaunch the elderflower then launch the rhubarb So you've
1: got a you're almost seasonal but absolutely I'm, yeah
2: and again, the rhubarb gin is made by squeezing rhubarb through a cider press and using the juice instead of water to cut the spirit to bottle strength. So a third of every bottle is rhubarb juice. So this, is, this was brand new for
1: booze. Going back to just juniper. Does juniper go in every gin? Yeah, mandatory so, ingredient. OK, that's a, well, just something I wanted to kind of establish, because sort of, we haven't even talked about juniper yet. Yeah. It's the kind of fundamental...
2: So that's, that's of, your mandatory gin ingredient. To, make, to be a gin, it has to have juniper. Yeah, and it should, it should and this is where the grey line is, or, or blurry line, sorry, it should be predominantly juniper-flavoured. There are lots of traditionalists in the industry that, that hate all of the newfangled gins that are out there. As well, it's not predominantly a juniper. Well, Monocles are popping out yeah, across the empire. Absolutely, well, this is it. <laughs> Juniper is the largest ingredient that goes into every distillation that we do. The sad thing about a lot of the flavoured gins that are being made, and um, I would doubt that any junipers come anywhere near them. And actually, what really, we're seeing—really,
1: it's just pure spirits.
2: What something. we're seeing is ethanol flavourings. And if it's a rhubarb, let's say it's a rhubarb and ginger gin, they have probably only added rhubarb and ginger flavouring. So it's more probably. Is that more a well, this is it. Some of these gins are still charging the same price we do, mm. or getting on that way. When, in fairness, when you actually look at how they're made, they should be at least a tenner a bottle less yeah. uh, at point of process. So there's been a tsunami explosion for the consumer. Everybody uses clever marketing language. We try and just if it what it says on the bottle, it, it is. But the word inspired by is just this marketeer's dream
1: that v- vaguely
2: went near at some stage well, yeah. yeah okay but if it's inspired by what does that mean oh it's inspired by raspberries <laughs> there's absolutely no raspberries in it but it's inspired by so i think consumers yes. and but this is the same with everything you know we've there was the whole thing of supermarkets inventing farm names for products to look like they've come direct from farmers and for us transparency is, is so key authenticity believability but people mimic us all the time and use language that, sort of, means they can use much simpler, much cheaper, yeah. really terrible ingredients. Okay. But spirits is one of the only f- products in the world that you can consume, and there are no ingredients on back a pack.
1: Why is that? Is it because that?
2: Just it, no one wants it because they get away with murder. Yeah, the, okay. the quality of ingredients that a lot of people use in booze is horrific. But as consumers, we never... You know, we think about food and traffic light symbols and all of that. Um, with booze, you know, it's, it's a contentious place to talk about what's a good and what's a bad ingredient because, in general, booze is bad, right? Because it's, it causes alcoholism. Um, there's a lot of calories in ethanol, health. But, you know, I would argue as, as many bad things as there are, you know, there's a lot of studies that are starting to show people that actually drink and socialize have a longer life expectancy because of just that camaraderie and the ritual and what that builds so it's it's really dodgy ground so when you start trying to say oh but ours is ours is ours is way better because of the quality of ingredients it's, it's sort of dodgy ground I would always advocate putting ingredients on back a pack telling the world what's in it uh, we've got absolutely nothing to hide we're 100% natural as a brand um, and we want the world to understand, you know, one, when you make something that's, that's symbiotic with Mother Nature, it tastes better, but it also does better for the planet at the same time.
1: Well, Tom is just taking me to the bar where are we can, oh, there we go, that wasn't far either. No, it's quite, <laughs> it? it's quite a big <laughs> site. This is great. So we're instantly from, this is. So this was our office. for here. Ah, okay. So when we on. launched. Um, and it was—it
2: used to be an old tack room, the garden shed. So we got the old saddles up on the wall there. Ah, yes. um, back in there, this is a lovely building.
1: building. Sort of wood framed, and and you got the garden. Is this part of your botanical garden? So this course?
2: was this was botanical garden one that you can
1: mm-hmm. see through the window, um, and it used to be lawned and bordered as a mm-hmm. garden. Um, it's and, full of raised beds with lots of herbs and. and just interesting flowers and things. Yeah,
2: like that. so it was, it was, the, the, this, this was my, um, I was out there in 2015 and my mum passed away in 2014. She'd been inspirational in a lot of the recipes that we launched with as a business. Um, and as I said, Keen Cook, Keen Gardener, Farmer's Wife, awesome mum, made me the magic. Uh, uh, sort of person that I am today, <laughs> and we weren't looking after her garden particularly well. I was quite, you know, it was only a year after she passed, roughly, and I was a bit annoyed that we, we weren't, but you know, the business was red hot, very, very, very difficult times. But her garden was getting overgrown and was full of all the herbs she used to cook with. And I just had this Noah's Ark, Field of Dreams moment, right? We've got to use these herbs, and I distilled some gins using mum's herbs, and then it was like, right, we've got to, we've got to build it that we've got to so make scale. we've got to grow stuff. our own botanicals yeah so this was the first botanical we've now got three this one is obviously quite bijou and it's more of a garnish garden now second one we can a uh, uh, botanical garden too we've got to come up with better names that's in the paddock at the top of the farm and you'll see um, you'll see the scale of that it's, mm. it's a big step is up is that the
1: one with the hurdles around the outside absolutely
2: yeah. okay. and then at the bottom of the farm uh, we've converted about seven acres over to botanicals and that's you know Uh, 700 trees probably 200,000 plants much bigger growing operation for the botanicals and it all started in 2015 again my mum inspiring what goes on in this business um, and me wanting to look after her gardens and that legacy of you know cooking with the herbs from the farm has turned us into you know no one's doing this. Yeah. In the UK, there's this no is, other sort of botanical it's, garden. With it's, a, there's, the, the, there's, there's one guy in Edinburgh, Hamish, who's a, who's a legend. Um, but on the scale that we're doing it, um, and the no po- other gin distiller is no. creating
1: their own botanical garden. No, this
2: is, and if they are, it's a token. We we are growing for the gin rather than misdirection, smoke and mirrors, anything like that. This is a this is a horticultural operation to actually produce the flavours that go into the gin. And as I said. The, the fact that we're masochistic is we seem to make our gins harder. The bigger we get, the harder they are to make in terms of that authenticity and provenance that we're trying to put into it.
1: Brilliant. brilliant. Well, we're going to talk a lot about the nature side of this in, in part two of the podcast. But while we're here in the bar, it makes sense to just talk a little bit about that gin and how to, how to drink it. Yeah, because yeah, well, I'll grab some ice. Wax and tonic. Would you, you know?
2: like to, or should, 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 would you try, do you want to try yeah. anything neat, or would you like a... Yeah, like
1: a try a one drink. neat and then try yeah. one with tonic, because... You want something... You want
2: something that's got a, a, a little bit of a bulbous base and then goes up to a point because it concentrates
1: all those volatile flavours ah, up into it. a lot of gin glass a very wide-rimmed, a bit like a whisky glass. That's
2: if you're drinking it like a gin. This is, yeah. we're, we're tasting something neat and right?
1: we're, we're trying to be a bit, uh, uh, a, a bit precise about it. I've got to say, the bottles are a beautiful series of, there's a lovely palette of different colours and there's, uh, whatever, you've got eight or nine different types of Yeah, gin we've, we've, we've got quite a Apple few. pear, there's lemon balm honey bee, slow, elderflower, lots of different, obviously the rhubarb that you talked about, so there's a whole wide range of, uh, they're beautiful, uh, the sort of illustrated art on Well it's, it's,
2: the, you know, it's our brand story, so mm. you know, if you look at the art on the bottle, you've got the distillery building in the corner, it's a countryside scene, you've got the botanical gardens, you've got Johnny and his bees uh, down at the bottom there, you've Johnny got, later. Some of the ingredients along the base. You've got a red kite there, um, mm. flying above the village pub that's on the right. Some of the cattle on the
1: farm. The
2: still, yeah, that's there. sweet, yeah, very lovely. Yeah, so it's, it's really okay. the story of the, the story of the farm in the bottle. Right.
1: Um, what are you gonna? What are we gonna try? We should
0: probably um,
2: let's try. I mean, it's elderflower harvest has just been yeah, completed. Yeah, right. So We're in
1: the middle of June. So.
2: Let's let's have a bit of the elderflower gin. So it's forty percent, and that was the other thing when we launched these. There were gin liqueurs in the world, um, but these liqueurs were all around 20%. So this is what we brought to the world is full strength flavoured so gin. So it just has a
1: sort of gin liqueur, so quite a light
2: spirit. Yeah, atmosphere. yeah. So this is 40%. You know, you give that oh, a swirl in the sort of glass. A health giving. Boom, you've, you've, it's ambrosia, isn't it? You've got yeah. that eruption of elderflower on the nose. Um, and this, yeah, we put on the back of pack, a recipe inspired by Tom's Mum Adele, um for this one and this is the gin that sort of checks so to Adele to Adele. Adele sweet floral load of pot I mean it's that's just wow, fantastic so it's isn't lots it? of depth there. this is mm. you know if you're into neat.
1: I could drink that meat. I couldn't drink a normal gin well meat. this is
2: it yeah you know, the, the cornerstone of what we mm. do is make spirits you can drink neat mm.
1: um, and if you can drink them neat you can do anything you want with them I've never drunk Gin meat before because of that sort of, it has yeah. to have a tonic in it. I think that's kind of also tradition, g so For it's sure. It's that sort of long drink, summer's afternoon. And are you trying to change that sort of image? I, I, th-
2: of, I think quality brings versatility. You know, this on the rocks. You, know, you, yeah, you Just this, this on its own. You could just sit and sip this because it's absolutely beautiful stuff. Mm. And, and there's a lot of complexity going on because... We've got a London dry in the background that has quite a lot of spice in there. You've got black pepper giving you some mouth structure. You've got cardamom and nutmeg. there's actually
1: black pepper in there. Yeah, yeah.
2: absolutely. The
1: The elderflower
2: is added after all those other flavours are added to it. Mm -hmm. So we do that by big vats filled with gin and we literally soak elderflower blossom in them for a fortnight. Um, and as I said, yeah, we can only do this three weeks of every year. When the elderflower is in full bloom, it's picked, and within a couple of hours, it's into the gin. We're capturing that summer's day so that you know, when you have a glass of Warner's elderflower gin, you're drinking capturing that summer's, summer's day.
1: day. That's, a nice, that's yeah. a nice thought.
2: 300 elderflowers in every bottle, roughly, right. in terms
1: of flower power. Okay, that's, real, that's intense. So. Mm. Let
2: me get a tonic. then you can come out with just a little bit of dilution yeah and it opens up
1: i won't be able to say the brand of tonic but um it's a it's a high quality it is boutique tonic brand that's done very well for itself is that is that an english british that's more of a gin and tonic that's your gin and tonic but i mean very lovely though absolutely beautiful
2: really easy drinking there's a little bit of sugar in the gin. Very easy drinking. That's the... <laughs> It's dangerous, isn't it? It would yeah. just disappear. Oh,
1: I've got a long drive later, so I won't. Uh, have yeah. Too much of it, but, yeah.
2: But sweet, floral, celebrating that great British crop of elderflower, oh. um, and uh, the first flavored gin that
1: we produced, actually. Really? Okay. So that was based on your mum's recipe. That and, was at that, that time that she made it. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious. Uh, this is this is so. You would drink gin, of. Uh, summer's day or a winter's evening it's not enough. i think
2: gin is a very accessible spirit and i don't think then i think what quality gin brings in is is probably more occasions that you can drink gin now so our harrington dry is you know fabulous all, all of our gins work as as, mm. as you've just tried with the other as a neat serve and actually a sipping product um and uh i think the number of occasions that people are consuming gin now has grown i think gin and tonic we used to be sort of before a meal or at the end of a night but i think people are drinking it more throughout the evening now and um spritz serves are very popular this summer so not just with tonic water and soda potentially yeah. with, a, with a soda to drop the calorie count or soda with a or a prosecco or, or something like that um but short cocktails are also, you know, becoming really popular. The classics, so martinis, cocktail. negronis, oh, oh that yeah. kind of stuff, where actually you want really great quality liquid mm. to deliver those those products. And I think there's also a trend of drinking less and better, especially in the younger generations. And they want to they want to drink products that have had, you know, the level of care, authenticity, provenance that we put into our products, the nature positivity as well, mm. so that. They might not go and, you know, I grew up in the 90s and, and that was about going out and seeing how many pints you could drink of an evening without dying. Whereas I think the younger generation now are far more sensible than we've yeah. ever been. They will drink fewer drinks, but they will drink more special drinks Which when are they're on a night out. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. How interesting. Yes, I remember those nights. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we were a bad generation.
2: We were terrible. <laughs> yeah.
1: We might live longer, though. Because <laughs> we got rid of our front door. Yeah, process. absolutely. Uh, I want to ask you, because your mum's obviously been really influential in this. Your dad's traditional beef farmer. How does he take on board a gin business on his on his land? Is he sort of like in with it, or is this like my son's gone and done this newfangled thing and I don't get it?
2: I think it depends on the day of the week. He can he can either be really on board and very very proud, or we can be an absolute nuisance and in the way and uh, uh, that. But it's it's typical farmer, Mm. I suppose. Um, And in, in general, he's massively supportive and proud of what we've done. Um, but we are you know each year we we nibble off a little bit more of the farm yeah I
1: was thinking you're turning over his grassland that he's nurtured for cows for beef cattle yeah into fancy herbs oh growing elderflower
2: and and one of the other products that we've started growing a lot of is dandelions As you can imagine actually down we're down. actually for, for our for our rum product that we produce uh, okay it's a, a it's a spice that you can produce in it's the British trash and treasure yeah so this 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 um oh, that's, a, that's curious one person's trash is another person's treasure oh, well, uh, it's about flipping the perspective on ingredients so we use weeds and food waste to actually flavor this one so dandelion roots are really big ingredient in the that's rum. that's incredible um Yes. Yeah,
1: super tasty. But you're, so you're growing dandelions, and he's probably been spending most of his life getting
2: rid of them. getting rid of them. Yeah, same with elderflower. You know, farmers spend their lives pulling elderflower out of hedges, and we've got an elderflower orchard. Um, on and the what does he say to
1: you, Tom? I'm
2: disappointed. <laughs> no, no, he's just like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes, yeah. Dad. Yes, Dad. Do you need to do that? Yes, Dad. Um, and it, yeah it's it's hard because he's done certain things all his life, and. And when we first launched, I think his biggest thing was, but why are people going to buy yours?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and it's, well, we've got to build the brand, ad and the belief and the the, the, the fact that the quality is better and the way we do business is better and what we do for the environment is better. Um, so I think that's a real struggle for someone that's always produced a, a commodity, which is what most farmers are doing, yeah. and they're relying on... And battled know, with nature
1: rather than working... 100%. You know, sort of say, my nature-inspired beef or whatever it was. Yeah, Whereas that message is coming
2: through, perhaps younger generations. I think so, for sure. Um, the, the beautiful situation that we're in as a business is that we can continue to grow lots of different ingredients that go into the gin, and and really transform the farm in a way that um, is nature positive. So we can start to put apple orchards in, which we all know are really, really great yeah, uh, sort it. of nature positive spaces, and we can use those apples and pears to go into our apple and pear gin as that grows as a brand. So as so you've we been grow, have buying in less stuff. 100%. You're you still buying oh, stuff. Oh, for sure yeah, we yeah. buy buying stuff. But we're trying to be as self-sufficient as possible. Mm. So our London Dry Gin, we're self-sufficient in the Angelica, um, the Lemon Verbena and the Lavender that goes into that one. Mm-hmm. One of the other ingredients in that is Lemon Peel that comes fresh from a local prepared fruit factory. So food waste that would have been going to waste
1: yeah, actually it, yeah. goes
2: into that. Um, lemon Balm, we're self-sufficient in the Lemon Balm, Lemon Verbena, Lemon Thyme that goes into that one. It is working. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. Yeah. This The start of this year has been very tough. But it's been very tough for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the, the the macro environment is um, is slowing everything down a bit. Mm. But, you know, we're the number one independent uh, uh, craft gin distillery in the UK at the moment. Rhubarb gin, you know, its peer set at its price point are all owned by multinational monsters. Mm. So we punch massively above our weight. We're going toe-to-toe with giants. And we're doing it on a shoestring from a farm in North, rural Northamptonshire, yeah, yeah. you know, with a small band of epic people uh, around us. And I, I truly believe it's, it's authenticity of liquid um, and what the world doesn't know yet and we're, we're starting to really drive home is what we're doing for Mother Nature on the site.
1: Funnily enough, we've come back to the bar. Um, Rachel, hello, Rachel. Hello. Um, what's your job here?
3: um so as i was saying earlier i have a terrible job of drinking gin <laughs> uh, so i'm the liquid and innovation manager here You're so kind of innovation manager. that's the one so what basically anything title. yeah anything flavor or science um quality control that kind of thing i usually take care of on site so is
1: that because you've got an acute Yeah,
3: uh, apparently so yes. Yeah. Really <laughs> um, uh, yeah so um i have my so my background is i'm a flavor chemist i'm a sensory scientist as well i'm just about to finish a degree in sensory science um, I'm also a judge for a couple of um, fairly well-known, like spirits competitions. So, Wine, the International what? Wine and Spirits, World Drink Awards. and um, I judge local mm. um, things as well. So, I like to think that I have an all-right palate. Fantastic.
1: Gosh. So, what's your, so your job here then is to kind of test and is it creating new, innovation? Obviously, suggests that you're you're here creating new yeah. flavours for, for. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So probably 50-50 split. You know, new product development, constantly seeing what we could do, sort of. You know working with the guys on the farm of what we could grow what we could use how we could become more self-sufficient and a lot of the things here and um, but then also sort of the research and development side so constantly looking at process you know the final bottled product those kinds of things as well how they could get better and um, yeah just general quality control so everything that goes out the door making sure that it tastes as good as it can. and then the raw materials we work with as well you know working with nature completely has its pros but also can have its cons in the sense that you know you know you think about things you grow in your garden they're different every single week you know the things that we harvest we have to really know our raw materials if you grow it on a different size on the
1: farm presumably there's a different
3: hundred percent. Yeah, you know, water Terrible. content, like yeah, yeah geographical location, minerals, the amount of yeah, yeah, minerals, sunshine, all these things that it goes through, um, yeah, all have very subtle impact on flavour. And actually, even though they're very small changes, they can all lead up to being quite a big, significant change. So, you know, it's kind of where the art of our blenders and distillers comes in to really know how to work with those and make sure that we have a consistent product. So
1: you you're advising all the time on it needs a bit more of this or a bit less of that or yeah. This is a dream. This is a dream job. Oh yeah, like how do I apply? <laughs> <laughs>
3: I just come and join us. Uh, yeah, no day's the same. Like yeah, definitely not a boring job. I don't think my palate is refined enough. to oh, I'll get uh, you there. We'll get <laughs> you through some training.
1: So, what have you? What flavours have you? Are you most proud that you've, you've um, developed? Um,
3: I mean, so I've only been officially with the company in this role since August. Um, so the London Dry is probably I would say the one that I've had the biggest hand in, and sort of my baby, the one that I'm proud of. Um, I've also helped develop the non-alcoholics and the Christmas cake um, over the incredible. last couple of years. Um,
1: Tom showed me that Yeah. Earlier, and just the smell of it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Gosh, it's a, almost, yeah, like a win- proper winter warmer.
3: Oh, glad to hear it. I mean, yeah, I mean, complexity is kind of, you know, the key. I think mm. they're making sure you're capturing all the elements. And working with nature and sort of the raw materials we have, we can capture all those elements. It's not just one single punchy flavour, say strawberry. We really get the scale of the whole strawberry, so... Hopefully that reflects in the spirits.
1: So what? what and what's your favourite? If you were going to, I've, oh. asked, I've asked this of Johnny already. Ah. Oh. Did Johnny say not. honeybee? Yeah, weirdly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't
3: wonder think. what gave that away. Um, I mean, it does change, you know. Like, um, but to be honest, my staple go-to is the Hardington Dry, <laughs> um, on the rum as well. Like, I quite is enjoy that the. Trash the and rum. treasure rum. Yes.
1: Would it be possible to have a taste of the trash? The of treasure? course. Because I, uh,
3: Tom mentioned yeah.
1: it. Trash and treasure. He was slightly sort of, well, it's made from waste materials and uh, weeds.
3: Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I mean, it kind of is the concept it was born on. So to be honest, it came during COVID when we were, you know, here making hand sanitizer, trying to do our bit. Um, We did feel we were a little bit stifled in creativity by putting hand sanitizer out every day. So it was a bit of our passion project, really. And it was almost, I don't think it was really meant to ever come to fruition. And then we made this rum and I think everyone kind of fell in love with it. And so we decided to launch it. Um, last year but yeah wasting weeds you know trash and treasure one man's trash is another's treasure that's so very much the what's, idea
1: what's it? it says botanical botanical ugh. botanicals <laughs> i haven't <laughs> <laughs> um, botanicals weeds and discarded peels so i'm going to just describe it well you maybe you should describe it oh no we you're... could test your palette if you like <laughs> oh, no, can you describe the color
3: Um, I mean for me you know like a sort of healthy golden colour not like really dark you know from those a lot of overly aged rums you see and this isn't an aged rum at all actually all that colour is coming purely from the botanicals we macerate it in Mm -hmm. so cinnamon cassia dandelion root which is one of our weeds that we'll yeah talk on but that's where all the colour is coming from there so nothing synthetic nothing artificial.
0: Dandelion's a really interesting one actually so um, yeah the dandelion we, we sort of discovered when we did a, a, a gin called Farmed and Foraged, which was trying to create a gin within a th- um, from botanicals within a three-mile radius or a bee's flight from the farm. Oh, that's clever. Kind of and, and spice was really hard to get from the British countryside. I mean, typically you think of spice coming from far-flung corners of the earth. And, um, but actually toasted dandelion root, which it was an old coffee Yeah, like I've, I've actually made it.
1: Once Um. upon a time, as a sort of foraging project. Yeah. um, How did it go? I quite liked it. It was quite Mm. smooth. It wasn't spicy, but uh, that was because the liquid at the end. It looked like coffee, but it was more sort of. Very very smooth, very mild,
0: kind oh, of nice. Mm. But yeah, the work I had to put in. Was... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so what we do is we roast it at uh, an artisan coffee roaster's uh, locally. So someone collects
1: all those weeds out of your yeah.
0: Area. We, we, well, we harvest them. Yeah, um, all by hand. Yeah. yeah, so okay. we dig them up with a with a with a with a fork. Honestly, um, I think
3: people must think we're mad in the local area. Well, we have a
0: saying, craft is graft, and it is. It's, it's masochistic what we do, but yeah. we literally grow it, dig it out, wash it, chop it, dry it,
3: uh, roast it. Uh, so there's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, Even during COVID, I mean, obviously we have weren't growing it to scale at that point. You should see the state of my garden from where it's very obvious that things have been dug out and they've never quite grown back. Oh, yeah.
0: But you got rid of all your dandelions. Yeah, I yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but, you know, again, linking back to the role that dandelions play, you know, just eight dandelion um, plants are enough to support 15,000 bee flights, really? for bee foraging flights. yeah really? That's and, incredible. And, which is one of the reasons we say don't mow in May, because, really? you know, the, letting dandelions go for flower, it's early, you know, an early, um, you know from, from April through to, um, or late March, April into May, um, for pollen and nectar, dandelions are a true hero, so... Um, oh they're hated by people that's (laughs) the thing I mean I wage
1: war in favour of dandelions always in the magazine and the podcast people have heard me talk about dandelions but I know people who will climb their neighbour's fence to dig the dandelions out <laughs> but they're such a
3: versatile thing i mean obviously yeah. we use the roots but actually i'm pretty sure i've seen people use the leaves and mm-hmm. salads, mm. the flowers i know you can you know i think I've you can deep wine fry them with a, with yeah, yeah. Wine with the flowers. but so um possible. they make a nice syrup actually you know for making cocktails and uh, things so yeah, very yeah, versatile actually
0: i've used yeah. them to make vegan honey as well as a, a vegan honey recipe using uh, basically dandelion flowers and sugar
3: never let uh, me try that uh, it really?
0: crystallised pretty quickly oh. so we'll go work on the recipe but...
1: yeah, oh, well, guys <laughs> just hang around with that sounds like a fascinating <laughs> world um, so look, so we've got this rum yes. Trash and Treasure I'm going to just no, I, I'm terrible at even trying to work out what these flavours might be but caramelly oh
3: okay
1: I mean that's pretty basic um, citrus there nice, is a whole lot of yeah, citrus yeah. in there, yeah. There's a lot of peel
3: smell.
1: Yeah. Could you tell me what your expert knows and I'll go course. Yes of course, that's <laughs> that's what it smells like. But I think it's I think it's quite hard to Define smells, yeah, and the like, yeah.
3: sensory is like that, you know. I mean, obviously, I can sit here now and tell you all the things that I know go into it and how yeah. it smells and tastes to me, and you might then start, you know, picking up on those and agreeing. Yeah, and that's like when it comes to sensory tasting, it's always, you know, I hope that didn't feel like I was putting you on the spot, but it is quite nice to let people form their own yeah, opinion I, before I, you. Sort
1: of, I'm gonna have another go just to. <laughs> yeah, I kind of just want it to sort of spring into my mind what that is, but.
3: It is one of those very bits. I mean, it's yeah, very complex. Deep. There's a lot of elements mm. in there. I mean. You know it's very much the base is a jamaican rum um, so we don't make the rum ourselves it very much is jamaican so very estuary very aromatic you know typical white rum flavors coming through and um, we then distill that in the same way we would with our gin so that rum goes in our still which mm-hmm. i'm sure tom's talked you through and um, but along with that goes a lot of botanicals and um, so this is where some of the waste and weeds comes into play so we use um discarded fruit peels from a local fruit factory 20 minutes down the road that would otherwise go to landfill so, again, kind of what Johnny was saying there, you know, the idea being that we could never grow the citrus here ourselves. And citrus is a hard one to kind of be quite sustainable about, to be honest. Um, but it's such a key element in a lot of our spirits. So we kind of tried to look at that in a different way of, OK, maybe we couldn't be self-sufficient, but what could we do from a sustainability point of view? Um, and actually, yeah, the fruit factory, 20 minutes down the road, found you're getting the, some uh, treasure uh, there. Is they're all pale. Yeah, so it's um, orange and grapefruit peel that goes in there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, giving you a really citrusy, really fruit. fresh. It's definitely,
1: that's, that's nice. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's, that's the thing, as yeah, soon it's as, as you yeah. say it, yeah.
3: <laughs> um, I mean, I've
0: just seen the ingredients list, so I could say. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, you <laughs> could have read that cinnamon, the whole time. <laughs> yeah. um. And then the, the, the secret ingredient, well, that was the secret, but the, the, the one that really sort of w- that closed the deal was uh, discarded. Banana peels or or overripe bananas.
3: So, actually, yeah, Tom Warner can take full credit for that part. So, we had the recipe, um, you know, we had our Danzline root in there, we had our discarded peels, we had a whole load of other spice botanicals in there, and you know, we were loving the spirit. It was just something we felt it could have improved on and Tom Warner in his usual fashion strolls in drinks the spirit and he's like needs bananas really? and obviously his background in sort of produce and everything probably helped the him with out the there. Rum as well. exactly yeah so he uh, yeah, called up a mate we got some overripe bananas delivered to the farm um and yeah like put them in in the still um i mean 25 kilos of Overripe bananas are going into that still, which is quite a lot of bananas. So yeah, um, and I think really, especially on the palate, sort of like that creaminess. You know, really, what ties it all together was the bananas, and yeah, we were just blown away. So, yeah, you know, nice story, and we worked with a lot of local supermarkets at the time as well to take in all their overripe bananas. Um, I'll
1: to a secret. I hate bananas,
3: <laughs> eaten,
1: but that is delicious.
3: Oh, glad to hear. It's
1: really smooth. Like rum, I tend to avoid as a sort of kind of quite rough often, I think. Yeah. Probably from my university days of drinking cheap rum. But I think everyone has little, that kind of yeah. story, don't they?
3: Yeah. yeah, so that with ginger ale and a little slice of lime. For me, that's just summer in a glass.
1: <laughs> so that was fascinating insight into gin making and tasting with Tom Warner and Rachel Sutherland. You can find out much more about all their work and the gins they make on their website warnersdistillery.com. And next week, I head out onto the farm itself to meet wildlife sustained by gin in the company of johnny easter who's warner's conservation and sustainability officer and it was a really wonderful experience so tune in for that in the meantime if you'd like to get in touch you can contact me on my email address which is editor at countryfile.com but for now thank you so much for listening and goodbye